The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 125. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make itself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the second episode of the third season of Discovery, Far From Home. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. You know, I think uh, Firefly would like its plot in uh, <laughs> Characters set back. In set, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Spider-Man wants his title back. Uh, so, folks, be yeah. sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app. Or on YouTube at the SQPN YouTube channel, we should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I also want to mention, by the way, that we also do another show called The Secrets of Doctor Who. And if you're one of those Star Trek fans who also like Doctor Who, you're going to love that one as well. So go check it out. It's uh, either at SQPN.com or in your podcast directory. Find The Secrets of Doctor Who and give it a shot. So this is getting, the sec- getting, getting, getting the band back together. Part two. <laughs> yes, <Yep>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. So this we, time it's personal. This, <laughs> <laughs> so the first episode was uh, Burnham's story of getting to the thousand years in the future. And now we have discovery story. And just to kind of, I think it's important to recap what happened at the end of the second season uh, where it kind of left things because Stamets had been injured and had been put in a coma, a medical induced coma. Uh, Leland, who had been the the head of Section 31, had merged with the homicidal AI control and uh, Giorgio had kicked him into the spore chamber where he appeared to disintegrate. uh, Although I didn't realize it was so she she disintegrated him. Right. I didn't realize it. I thought it was just nanobots falling apart, but this was much more biological (laughs) as we'll see. One of the things that I I, kind of I felt like we didn't really talk much about was just the idea that like the the concept of this season is a future where things have fallen apart. You know, it's a society mm-hmm. that has lost its way and its ideals and looking for a way to recover them. It's about finding hope. And I've, I kind of feel like in 2020, that's really, there's a lot of entertainment that's really kind of grasping at these ideas of a society that's lost its way and is looking to recover it. And I, th- I find Although it interesting. This was this was made before 2020, right? Right, and right. and certainly those these uh, ideas that we are a society that it's lost its way predate 2020, but it's just sort of come felt like it's come well, to a head. Well, I think it's interesting too because so much of new Star Trek has kind of been down on the Federation and seen the Federation as kind of a negative thing, and it's an mm-hmm. old organization that's like you said lost its way. And all of a sudden, this this season so far has been, but the Federation is the greatest thing ever. How could it ever fall? Right. You know, you have last last episode where Burnham, that's impossible. It's impossible the Federation fell. 
and 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 in many ways, the Federation, as we saw in TNG and DS Nine and the the other you know uh, series, it had lost its way. You know, it was do mm-hmm. you know g- getting into wars. It was the uh, there were uh, conspiracies inside it. There was politics that were bringing things down. Even in Picard, we see. Like Picard is the most bleak on the fe- the state of the Federation mm-hmm. and Starfleet, frankly. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see it, this new perspective. I feel like Discovery is trying to trying to have this uh, this idea of, you know, what is the Federation about? What is Starfleet about? What have we lost when we lose those things? And how do we regain these principles and rebuild a society? So I thought I think it's kind of interesting that that seems to be the approach we're going for a much more hopeful look of things. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all I'm all for hopeful stories. Um I'm I'm also fine with 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 you know uh, more realistic stories. Um I don't I I'm not the, in the original series, the Federation was was not this perfect thing. Yeah. And and then Gene Roddenberry around the time of next gen wanted to make it ridiculously utopian. Oh, yes. And, and there are, and the, and that saddled the, um, the franchise with a bunch of non-realism that has progressively been peeled off. And I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. Um, but I get sick of virtue signaling. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens whenever Michael Burnham is going on about that's who the Federation is and yeah. and and the Federation is an ideal and is right. an idea and lives in the heart of everyone and clap your hands if you want Tinkerbell to live and show you <laughs> yeah. a virtuous audience. Um, you know, I, 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 I just. I, I'm I'm not a fan of the virtue signaling. I'm happy to see, okay, here's a functioning society that's got its act together and, you know, is doing good stuff. I'm fine with that. I don't right. need it to be bleak all the time. I don't want it to be bleak all the time. Right. But I also don't like the, oh, the Federation's the greatest thing ever, man. It can do no wrong. Right. Well, and it's interesting yep. that in the original series, the Federation and Starfleet was sort of mostly in the background. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the yeah. newer series, it's progressively gotten more and more important. Like this institution and bureaucracy has moved more and more to the forefront of what's important. This this institutional mm-hmm. bureaucracy is important to everyone. We rely on, and and maybe that's a mindset of uh, that a, a difference in mindset from the '60s to the 2020s. And uh, I, I would argue, even during in the movies, it becomes more of a prominent thing, although not. Not quite to the level again. It does in TNG and even right. DS Nine, but yeah, I think it sh- it shows a shift in maybe in the way Hollywood sees uh, our society. I don't want to get too well, political, but it, it 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 also involves a shift away from the monster of the week exploring the galaxy theme, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you if you're going to be more than an anthology show, you need to explore the society you're in. Yeah, but right. if you're just always out on the fringe, like, you know, the Federation was not, except for its ideals, the Federation was not a big part of Voyager until the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. So uh, let's start with this episode. Uh, we have the, the beginning of this is, again, just like with the last episode, the this time it's discovery that's coming out of the wormhole and it comes out over in, a, into a ridiculously crowded space debris field <laughs> again. Yes, yes. 
Uh, and the planet looks like it's had its core ripped out of it. Uh, you know, th- this, which makes it implausible that this planet has an atmosphere, frankly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And uh, Dis- Discovery crash lands. It's a uh, Star Trek Generations uh, style crash landing onto hey, the it's, planet. It's still, still, be- still better landing than Timeless. At least they didn't lose half their decks when the Voyager crashed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the uh, So the ship is broken. They can't communicate. They don't know when or where they are. They can't connect with Burnham. Uh, but Saru, again, I kind of like this new, just like with this Burnham of season three, I kind of like the assertive, confidence saru of of this season he's much yeah. more in command he's much more le- and part of that is the change that he went through uh as the uh kelpian mm-hmm. you realize the kelpian nature uh but also i just i just like the way they're writing saru this time and uh, they also and, have and the- unfortunately un- unfortunately janet Re- i mean jet reno is still there and she's still <laughs> mm-hmm. tedious and yeah uninteresting yeah. as a character yeah she's there to to, to, to shoot the one-liners basically so why do they want to land on ice? I mean, I would want to. I would want to land on water. Right, the water that's just beyond the ice. Frankly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that the ice had melted into. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, they figured it'd be more cushion than the water would be. At least they were able to use the uh, deflector dish as a repulsor beam or something to try to cushion their landing. I but... think ice is slippery, so you slide across it as opposed to crash into it. Well. They also talk about the depth of this this glacier too, though you know, like yeah. it needs to be like fifty feet deep or some fifty meters deep or something like that. So. Yeah, ice is pretty hard. You, you, it's it's the, yeah, it's like cr- it's, crashing into land. Yeah. I mean, crashing yeah. into sand would be preferable to crashing into ice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you've ever gone ice skating and fallen on ice, like I have, it's it's it not any better <laughs> than falling down on on dirt and rock. Uh, so they are like Burnham. They are the first thing they do is. Is there life? Because, again, that was the question that they were trying to save all life in the galaxy from control. And by determining that there is life on this planet, that means they succeeded, at least for the short term. Uh, We also get something is wrong with Detmer, the helmsman. She's she's out of it for most of this episode. And I'm not sure why it's worse than the physical injury. And I'm wondering, is it PTSD from the battle of uh, where the Shenzhou was the battle of the binary stars? Or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but she goes down to sick. She she is physically injured in the crash, but she goes to sick bay. They check her out, and she's fine physically, mm-hmm. but something's still clearly wrong with her. Right, and they just haven't told us what that is yet. Yeah. See, I, I wonder if they're going to play up this whole she felt guilt because or she feels guilt and responsible because she she was responsible for the ship crashing, quote unquote responsible. Yeah. Um. You know, and I it just that's kind of the way they're playing it. So I don't know if that's something that's going to come out next episode that, you know, if I had done my job right, the ship would not have actually crashed and we right. wouldn't have had this happen and blah, blah, blah. So one thing that I like is after they land, you know, Saru makes this speech about how uh, they're going to, you know, even though their ship is trashed now, they're going to they're going to fix it and everything. And he's saying, we are completely cut off, but we are also together. (laughs) And I wanted him to add, and we're sitting on a big pile of advanced technology. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's the more key thing than we're all together is we're sitting on this advanced technology that we can fix. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The most advanced starship of our era. So, yes. Just just have to replace a few uh, IDE ribbon cables and we're fine. (laughs) 
So sorry that that one part you replaced that uh yeah what was it the anodyne circuit it was literally just an IDE cable yes you yep. just unplugged it and replugged and, it in and fixed the entire ship. Uh, so Giorgio is still there. Uh, I I love Giorgio. She is the agent of chaos in this buttoned up Starfleet crew. Um, she's got Leland all over her boots. <laughs> oh, she does. Yeah. That, this was okay. So this was more graphic than we've ever had on Star Trek. Yeah. There's blood all over the medical uniforms in sick mm-hmm. bay. Yeah. You know they're really getting bloody. Uh, we we haven't seen that before. Yeah. And the Leland residue is like, okay, they're cleaning out the spore chamber with a shovel and they have real meat they got from a butcher there. Yes. Um, Now, I'm not at all sold that Leland is gone. No. Because nanotech, uh, dude, how many nanites do you need before it can reconstitute itself? Right. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking there's the AI equivalent of remember and he put his Katra somewhere. (laughs) Well, I mean, SG one had the, the uh, replicators where that's basically what they were is they were nanobots that would replicate themselves. So why couldn't discovery? Yeah. Yeah. But the, I, with, uh, Giorgio, they give us a reason now. Also, she's going to be in conflict with Saru this season. Um, but they give her, they give us a reason why she went into the future. Um, because, uh, and partly it's for Michael because she cares about Mm -hmm. Michael, but also she explains, you know, it was only a matter of time until section 31 asked me to take over and I don't want to be bogged down with bureaucracy, (laughs) Which is interesting for a former emperor, right? Um, but uh, she she wants the adventure. She could handle bureaucracy by just killing the person who was causing it as emperor. <laughs> yeah, so right, yeah. But she also, yeah, she says something about I I I enjoy jumping universes or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, there is this a fun moment between Stamets and Culber. Stamets is coming out of his coma and wants to go to work helping to fix the ship, and Culber says to him. I'll let you go back to work. If you can spell, my partner brought me out of this coma and all I got was this lousy T-shirt backwards. <laughs> and, and he does it, actually, which is funny. He does it later on, but he's still not ready to go back to work. When when he, when he is back to work, that's the scene where we get Janet Reno is by the sport chamber that some guy is mucking out. Yeah. And, and she refers to him, to the guy in the sport chamber with the shovel, as hazmat. Yes. And yeah. and he says, my name's Gene, actually. And she says, I've already forgotten that. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> is, that is, she does get a couple of good one-liners, I have to say. I have to say, she does. Uh, Giorgio is being, there, there's this uh, conference between, uh, let's see, it's uh, Saru, Tilly. Oh, who? what is the name of the new security chief, the the woman that they picked up? Non. Non, Okay. And uh, and Giorgio um, and Giorgio is being particularly rude to Tilly because, you know, there's a the couple of times where she's just like she's cutting her down, uh, which is, you know, way too easy. Uh, and um, and it comes out, it's her impatience and getting communications online, contacting Burnham. Like her, her focus is we've got to get Burnham. And as a re- recall, because Burnham is the. The, her stepdaughter. Her stepdaughter in the mirror universe. So this, she still mm-hmm. maintains this emotional connection to her. They have discovered a native settlement nearby that has the materials they need in order to fix communications. Uh, and they notice oh. that, the, that the ships have, that they are ships, but no dilithium. They don't know about the, the, the burn yet. Right. So they, And that's fine. What, but what's less fine is they have 
a device called a transtator that apparently is the only one they have, and all of their ship's communication depends on it. Yeah. I mean, well, this is not how you design a ship. Or at you least do not make... It. All of your communications depend on one part that you have one copy of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the transceiver is kind of like the Star Trek MacGuffin, you know, it's it's like it, it's whatever we need to put in there to say, well, this electronic device works because of a transceiver. What is a transceiver? It's the device that makes this electronic device work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm fine with them having a Technobabble device. It's just the fact they've got one of them and no replacement parts and no way wow. to fix it without getting an imaginary element off the ship that sounds like rubidium, but isn't. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, they, they, had, they had to obviously, you know, give them an excuse to go to the, the, uh, right. the, the Wild West colony and receive, get the unobtainium device. Yes. Yeah. They also have to walk like way crazy far instead of just using a shuttlecraft. Yeah. Well, right. Because let's assume that the transporters are offline because everything else is. Yeah. But the shuttles yeah. are probably still in shape. <laughs> It's like why it, it looked like the, the the shuttle bay was up in the air, so they could actually you know launch the shuttles. I mean, that's a crazy yeah. distance to expect them to have to walk like that. That's not that's not just around the corner. Yeah. Also, the um, the shuttles are going to have functioning sensors and communications devices on them. You could contact yeah. Michael with one of those. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. I mean, assuming they weren't damaged in the crash. I mean, but that that's, yeah. that they they don't say anything about the shuttles whatsoever. Right. And of course, again, it's it's so that they can have them walk across this highly difficult, you know, ice field uh, along this lake, beautiful lake and, in Iceland. You know, they have to get. You know, in Iceland, they got to get their 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 treatment so that they can breathe the atmosphere. They don't say why the atmosphere isn't breathable other than there's more oxygen in the colony than there is. Right. In the rest of the atmosphere. And they also get to walk by all the planet chunks floating in the sky, which yep. is admittedly a, a, a nice look. It right. does look yep. alien to have all the planet chunks in the sky. It's although, very Pandora. <laughs> yeah. It also would be very apparently they're kept up there technologically because otherwise this would be very unstable and you would have late heavy bombardment all the time on this planet. Yes. Yes. I do. I do like one line that non has at one point the, uh, they're on the ship and non has now been put in charge of the, um, rebuild efforts so mm -hmm. that Saru and Tilly can go off to the, to the, to the, to tombstone to get the parts they need. <laughs> and, uh, and the ship suddenly shudders and groans. Yeah. And Nan mm -hmm. says, that's a fun new sound. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so and yeah, Saru takes Tilly and Tilly is like, why are you taking me? You know, this is uh, I'm, I'm the least capable of everyone. And he says, we're introducing ourselves to the future. You and Tilly are a wonderful first impression. And he's very gentle with Tilly. Like she's, mm -hmm. she does her usual babbling on and on. She apologizes and he says, look, it's, there's nothing wrong with, with feeling scared. Just that's fine. Go ahead and talk. <laughs> this is, doesn't hurt yeah. anything for you to talk it out. Just go ahead and talk it out. So I, I do like how he's helping her uh, deal with her or issues like that. Uh, the planet is called the colony and the people are Corridons, which we meet or Corridons, which we meet mm -hmm. in Enterprise, the series. Um, mm -hmm. they say that they're they're being uh, oppressed by this guy named Zara, uh, who is apparently a a, a courier like book mm -hmm. from the like book. Yeah. And because couriers are the only ones who can carry stuff around, they're the ones with the lithium, they're completely dependent on the courier. So we have this interesting idea that 
all these far flung, you know, planets are going to be completely dependent on the ethics or lack of ethics or morality or lack right. of morality of the couriers that have their route. And so he is completely unethical and immoral. Uh, they agreed to help fix the the discoveries components in exchange for help against Zira and for giving them some dilithium. So we have that. And and this, but this is now where we get into the stereotypical old west movie where the bad guys are ravaging the town and the, oh, yeah. the under you know the 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 underdog good guys come in and run them off. It's fistful of dollars. Or, yeah. We yep. are in a swinging door space saloon with swinging doors. Yes, right. The this, is, this, this is where I said Firefly would like it set and plot back. But it's Fistful of Dollars or The Man with No Name or it's a spaghetti Western, essentially. Or, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. or Seven Samurai. And, and, and don't, don't, make, don't get me wrong. It was enjoyable. But it, yeah. it, this is definitely a plot you've seen before. Right. I mean, it really is. They are clearly <laughs> they're not hiding this. They are clearly doing an homage. Yeah. Uh, so um, we have programmable matter again. And. We start to like the, the, the discovery crew is trying to keep themselves like they, they want to reveal too much about themselves. But, you know, they, they obviously like, wow, look, you have these communications devices called telephones. You know, I mean, it's, it's as if someone came from yeah. 1850 and tried to fit in to 2020. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, yeah, this is not just normal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a food processor. I don't know why you're so excited by that. You know, that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, and so, uh, they, uh, there's one of the coordinates is this guy named Cal, and he is a Federation believer. He's one of those starry-eyed believers mm -hmm. that Book was talking about last time, and he he. Uh, so he has to die. So he has to die. Yes, uh, he is the the uh, the the what is it? The sacrifice to their ideals. The sacrifice to motivate mm -hmm. everyone else to to their ideals. Um, so we mentioned the ship is making noises. The, the this planet apparently has parasitic ice. That grows in the dark and will crush the ship like an egg. Which is actually a nice, it's it's kind of a cool concept. Yes, yes. It, and it creates the ticking clock, which we need, uh, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, so Zara shows up and he's literally wearing spurs. Like literally has spurs. Yeah, ka-chink ka as he walks in. Did he? I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. yeah they, in fact, they okay. show the boots and you hear the sound. I like this actor, Jake Weber. I've seen him in a couple things that he's done, and I, I, I really like him in this. He makes a great bad guy. He's sinister, but uh, he's not an idiot. He's not like a, a dumb thug. Uh, so well, he tries tries to be a little bit erudite, and they even call him on it. Just because you could use big words doesn't mean you act, you know was something like you don't know what you're talking about or something like that. Yeah, oh, it's uh, Giorgio says to him. Uh, he says to Giorgio in a minute, a one woman one woman tactical response. Vadrash has officially reached its nadir, and she says a fancy vocabulary doesn't make you scary. It means you have a thesaurus. Uh, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Vadrash, that is a term that was used as far back as Calypso. Yes. Mm -hmm. The flash forward uh, short track. Um, the uh, our, our protagonist in that, I keep wanting Kraft. to call him Ulysses. Craft. Um, because he plays the role of Ulysses. Yes. But right. um, he he was in a stolen Vidrash ship. And it turns out Vidrash is a syncope. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a mutation and contraction of a more familiar word. Federation, Vidrash. Yes. Mm. And so apparently the Vidrash is either the Federation or someone pretending to be the Federation. Right. Which is interesting that then Kraft's people were fighting 
yeah. the Federation or, like you said, somebody pretending to be. So that that is interesting. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, Giorgio, so Saru and and, and Tilly are taken captive by Zara, who's going to make them give up all of Discovery's uh, secrets, and all of its dilithium and all that sort of thing. And that's when Giorgio comes in to save them. And she's and Giorgio, let's just give her her props. She was right that yes. Saru was foolish to mm-hmm. just take Tilly and go here alone on, you know, and stuff like that. Yes. She wanted to go in loaded for bear and she was right. Yes. Yeah. Now, she takes some serious punishment from Zara at first. Like he he yeah, really tortures this- her a, a bit and she takes it. Yeah, this is where I, f- I found this problematic because so uh, Zara has a gun that he uses to kill Cal early on and he shoots him with the gun for a really long time. It's a ray gun and yeah. it makes his chest glow orange under his clothes, yeah. sort of. Like it and burns it stays them? that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it stays that way. It doesn't go out. It just keeps glowing for some reason. And he, he shoots... Um, Giorgio with it like four times and I'm guessing that and I found this problematic because she we've never seen this kind of weapon before we don't know Mm -hmm. what it does and she hasn't seen it used we the audience have just seen it used to kill a guy and it apparently took a while to kill him but she waits way too long to act just so the writers can have her shot four times. Yeah. When when the real a, a person who really thought like Giorgio would have struck first, mm-hmm. you know, rather than let herself get hit with an unknown with a weapon with unknown effects. And she's just lucky that thing wasn't set on kill. Right. Or mm-hmm. that she wasn't exposed to it long enough to actually kill her. And she's got this macho line about in my universe, this is fun. And I'm not going to say what she actually said, yep. but, yeah. um, but, uh, but it's like, I'm sorry. No, this is, uh, this is not a risk that she would, that this character would realistically yeah. take. And she wasn't there when the weapon was used the first time anyways. Right. right. So right. she never saw what it did. But when she finally does take action, Michelle, Yeoh once again, kicks butt. I yeah. gotta say, Michelle Yeoh yeah. was pretty awesome in this. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then she, at the, after they finally uh, capture Zara, she wants to kill him, but uh, uh, Saru prevents it and sort of turns him over to the people from the colony, saying, "Look, he's, you know, you're the ones who get to decide his fate because he's been torturing you. You, you, yeah. you know, the we're, it's not our place to decide whether he lives or dies." And so he leaves it up to them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think you can foresee which way that's going to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, he ends up, they end up letting him go, which I, I'm a little surprised. Yeah. But, well, but Letty, it was one of those, you know, there's lions surrounding the village and you get to walk out of the village. Right. He'll, yeah. he'll be back. You'll get out of the village. You won't survive, you know, type of deal. Yeah. But Sarah will be back, which I think would be good. Yeah. Uh, I think George. By the way, wait, during, by the, by the, way during the, 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 the battle, we get to see uh, Saru's head spikes again. Yes, he does shoot a guy with the uh, the spikes, the uh, mm-hmm. that used to be the fear things, but now they're actually weapons. Yep. So by sparing Zara and keeping to his Federation principles, Saru has convinced the Corridans that there is hope in the Federation, that they're willing to to support them, to help them, despite their the ones who have survived, despite their skepticism. Um, so mm-hmm. so that's how you know we we get this hope thing, you know, becoming 
coming up at the end here. Uh, they get back to Discovery, um, and they've got the the you know the, the the ship is running again. There was a whole subplot of Stamets and, and Reno trying to fix the ship, and both of them being very injured. And Stamets finally, you know, at the very last possible second, replacing the IDE yep. ribbon cable and getting the ship running again. But they still can't get out of the ice, which has now started to encase the ship until another ship shows up and tractors beams them out. And they as soon as the other ship shows up, they say enemy vessel above us. And it's like, yep. how do you know it's an enemy vessel? <laughs> right. It's just yeah. a vessel. I mean, does it have I am your enemy painted on the underside of it? <laughs> right. Don't assume right. everybody's your enemy. I mean, assume well, it, that the possibility. But yeah. Well, and they, they assumed it was the 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 couriers showing up more again. heavily armed friends. Right. And of course, it wasn't. Right. But of course, it turns out because and we all knew who it was going to be as soon as we saw it. Right. It was. Yeah. It, it turns yeah. out they get the 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 uh, tra- the uh, communications up and they see it's Burnham on Book's ship and she's got mm-hmm. her hair is very different. So we know it's her, her hair is very long. Yes. She says mm-hmm. she's been here for a year and it's like. Wow, your hair really grows two or three inches a month. <laughs> I'm in, I'm impressed. That is some impressive hair. Yes. When I when I grew out my beard, it's like about an inch a month. That's yeah, pretty normal. You you're clearly doing more than that. <laughs> yeah, she's well. It's the future. It's, Maybe it's, it's the something. future. Yeah. So and uh, and of Got course space. Space biotin. Yeah. Yeah. One, one touch I did like is when they established communication, it took Discovery a while to establish the comm link, you know, which is entirely plausible. These, these are new protocols. These are new, uh, you know, compression algorithms that Discovery had to learn before they could actually establish the link. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. You know, uh, they had to download the, the, the update and get the new codec and everything. And if you remember having to do that with computers way back <laughs> when. Right. So let's see what else. Anything else we want to say about uh, this episode? Anything we did, we didn't cover as we went through it? Uh, one thing one thing I did like was the, the settlement. It was kind of interesting. The settlement almost looked like something from a Final Fantasy or one of the other Japanese RPG games. I mean, it was, it was that yeah. kind of feel to it. You know, it was, it was kind of true. kind of a cool. It just looked different, you know. Yeah. It also was like games in that apparently the environment on this planet is is mapped out in decagons mm-hmm. and each of which has a somewhat different environment. So that's a very war game like thing. Right. Also yep. like the, like the war games from Dr. Who. That's true. Yeah. Um, exactly. I also liked how when uh, they're, they're starting to incorporate drone technology mm-hmm. into, mm-hmm. into this show. So when Stamets is up in the Jeffries tube, he's got a drone following him around that's feeding footage down to Janet Reno and um and you know Janet Reno was a big fan of surveillance devices. Yes, she was. Just saying. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, but I I like that you know they're they're doing that because that's realistic. What was not realistic is it's a enormous huge drone mm-hmm. compared to what they'd really have. Right. You know, unless it does more than just take serve as an AV link. It it would be like a tiny little dot following them around. Well, heck, our yeah. drones now are smaller than that. So yeah, yeah, they would have something. But it, from the the animated short that we had seen, the drones do they do repair work, which is why I'm wondering why why did he have to go there? Why couldn't they just send the drone to do the repair work? But yeah, yeah, but because then he wouldn't be in there bleeding all over the Jeffrey's tube. 
Um, I, I did like uh, at the end, uh, Stamets says, Hugh, thanks. Jet, thanks for nothing. She says, back at you, Bobcat. Is <laughs> Bobcat? I don't know. I'm on trucks. <laughs> Which I thought was <laughs> a nice, funny moment. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, I think if there's anything else, uh, we could we could wrap nope, things up. All right. Yet. So let's wrap it up there. We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including John C., Nathan H., Mark R., Brian B., and Jim W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. So what do you think of this second episode of Discovery's third season called Far From Home? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we're discussing the next episode of this season, which is titled People of Earth. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I'm going to enjoy this new world. If this idiot can run a settlement, then imagine what I can do in my sleep. <laughs>